I want to speak to the young today. I want to speak to teenagers. I want to speak to 20-sums. I want to speak to those who are new in faith. Because I want to talk to you about a hidden truth that for some reason seems to get covered over in, by religion, and it destroys the power. It destroys the move of God in your individual life. And we don't want that. When I was, I was raised in a Christian home, many of you have heard my testimony, my parents were pastors, and about 18, I discovered something that radically changed my life. I had developed as a teenager this thinking that God is in control of everything. So all I was was this pawn walking through life, this robot just walking out, whatever will be, will be. And all of a sudden, it's like Holy Spirit woke up on the inside of me something about the topic of faith, personal faith, that my faith had something to do with my future. I began to, st and it just electrified me to go, you mean I don't look at the next year and go, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what God's going to do. I wonder how this world will be. I discovered that to sit around passively waiting to see what life will give me was not the what the Bible taught. It taught a personal faith in something. And so as I begin to dive into the Word as never before, I begin to recognize that even my salvation was a personal faith. I know that together we can pray like we just did, and we could come together in faith and speak over a nation. But you have a very personal faith. What do you believe? And as you believe on Jesus, that's the only way that there is a born-again experience inside of you. That the God of the universe forgives you. He literally makes you into a brand new creation. His presence comes within you. That does not happen off somebody else's faith. It doesn't happen off your family's faith, your parents' faith, your grandparents' faith, or because someone raised you in a Christian home. No, your personal faith is what God is waiting for. He'll never violate your choices. And so as I looked at this topic of faith, I began to realize that as a teenager, I could have the favor of God on me in my decisions, my finances, my health, in protection. And, 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 and I figured out what the Word was saying on how to do that. And oh man, it was a new day. I dived into the Bible now because I kind of had developed this concept of God's in control. And you know, we, we, we sing songs that, that are not true. Like, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. That's not a verse in the Bible. That's a kid's song. But it becomes people's doctrine. Well, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's. Yeah, read it in context. So people believe in what is called today the sovereignty of God and that God is in control. So when you say he's got the itty-bitty babies in his hands, well, 20 million died or something like that last year. So, well, his hands aren't that good. Uh, he's got you and me, brother. Well, half of our marriages are ending in divorce. And, and like, don't say God 
has everything under control. It's just nowhere in the Bible. Now, you personally can get God involved in your life by believing with your personal faith, focus, and obedience. Yes. But to just say, well, everything's going to work out for the good. What Really, for who? Well, for everybody. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says for you individually, yes. Called according to his purpose, walking in his love. Yes, absolutely. So this thing called faith. Now, years ago, this teaching, it seemed like it was brought back to the body of Christ. And this faith message of personal faith, it literally electrified the church across the world. I was a part as a young teenager of seeing it and going to conferences and hearing great teachers that just changed how I thought that I could believe not just in him for salvation, but I could believe in his promises. Now, then, the teaching often was in religion, well, you never know what God's going to do. It's like Forrest Gump doctrine. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's Greek mythology. In fact, the sovereignty doctrine that is saying, well, we know God is sovereign, meaning all-powerful, but they take it further to go, God can do whatever he wants. They believe he can break his word. He could say something to you and then go, ha, 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 just joking. And, but that teaching comes from Greek mythology that had an impact on Christianity. If you don't think about Greek mythology, you never knew what it was going to take to please the gods in their mind. But that's not Yahweh. That's not Jehovah. That is not the God that we serve. His word is so powerful and so strong that heaven and earth will pass away before he will allow his word to be broken. He's not fickle. He's not up and down. He's not having a bad day on Monday, and so you're in trouble, and he's having a good day on Friday, so you could probably ask for a few extra things. And so religion has literally made the young people of today abandon church. Why? Well, you can't trust God. Don't know what God's going to do. I may just do my best to go succeed because God's not going to help you succeed. And all this crazy teaching came into the church, and it cost us the emerging generations. Did you know that in the 40s and 50s, when people began to preach that God was a good God, the majority of the churches wouldn't allow that message in the church, that God was a good God? That's how crazy doctrine had become. And so me, when we dive into the Word, and I recognize that faith, my personal faith, now that doesn't mean that what happened to me was my fault. I mean, what happens to you when you're a child, the way you were born? I'm not even going to preach on that, but it's not your fault. But now it's my responsibility on what I do from here on. So my response needs to be one of biblical faith and believe God so that the future isn't controlled by the past or by horrific things that took place or by people that betrayed or abused me. My, my future should not be controlled by that person. So there's a, a very biblical way to trust God, to use my faith and believe that God's going to restore the years the locusts have eaten. He's going to restore the things that were taken from me. So rather than sit around, as Tamara said, and not forgiving, I just cut that umbilical cord, let that whole mess go, forget those things which are behind and go, here I am, God, let's go live it up. That's what he's calling you and I to do. 
So as a teenager, as a 20-something, if you're new in the faith, the Word of God is saying very clearly to you, God wants you to have an amazing life. When I realized he was for my good, it changed. Because the more I would listen to some preachers, it was just like, no wonder. I mean, I'm glad that some, some people left the churches they were going to because who could sit there and get pickled in depressing, suffering doctrine? Now I'll say something else and we'll keep moving on. There is no deeper teaching in suffering. There's nothing deeper God is trying to show people through suffering. This suffering doctrine, you know, it's crazy. We are in the new covenant where Jesus died in our place. He took our sin. He took the curse. He rose again with new life. And the Holy Spirit within you is such a good teacher, he doesn't have to cancer you, kill your kids, destroy your business, so that your suffering goes a little bit deeper and you really go deep. There is no revelation God's withholding until you suffer. As I travel and teach pastors and denominations around the world, one of the most common comments I will get to me was this. You know, when the conference was over, I'd be meeting with pastors and leaders in the green rooms. They'd say, and it was always one really religious person would walk up to me like this. Pastor Leon. I'd say, yes. My, my, but God has entrusted you with a great ministry. You must have gone through great suffering to be trusted with such a great ministry. And, and I know that they're just trying to be, in, well, I don't know if they're trying to be encouraging or not. But you know what my answer always is? Flippantly. No, no, I don't. I didn't go anything with big old suffering. And they go, <clears throat> no, because there's an opportunity to wax eloquent through all that I've been through. Now, I've been through stuff like you've been through. Lost loved ones, great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, friends. I know what it is to be sick enough to believe God. I can make a list. But there's nothing in me that goes, oh, I went through such great suffering for God to use me. And yet that is the teaching of the predominant many of the churches of today. And so kids grow up and they come to our church and the mom dies and the pastor says, God needed another rose in heaven. And I've had them talk to me and just cuss God out at 10 years old and never serve him again if he's going to kill my mom because he needs what, another flower in heaven? He's got millions of people up there and he, I need my mom, not God. And our crazy way of handling Heartache and brokenness creates a generation that doesn't follow God. And so I want you to know that Jesus said in John 10.10, I'm come that you could have a life. You could get a life. And you could have it more abundantly in every area of your life. So understanding that I could believe in Jesus and the Word and that it would impact my future was a turning point for my life. Then there's something else that began to be restored to the body of Christ as a doctrine, and that is the doctrine of grace. Grace is God's favor in your life. Grace is God's ability in your life. And, you know, faith, when it really began to rise up in our churches and, our, and some of them, and across, people begin to use it for greed. Because you, for every mile of truth, how many know there's two miles of ditch? So people get off, and people got greedy with faith. It was all about them rather than 
first of all, seeking first the kingdom of God. And grace was the same way. Grace came in and it began to realize that, that God is in love with you and that because Jesus died in your place, he doesn't hold your sin to your charge. That stunned people. Absolutely made my mouth hang open when I understood that grace is God's ability in my life as a favor. And because Jesus took my sin, went to hell in my place, took the curse of the law, rose up with a new life for me, and that I was riding on his coattails. And as he is, so am I in this world, that God is in love with me, and he's not sitting there nitpicking every dumb little thing I didn't do right. That changed my world. And then, as I begin to look at faith and grace, and as I begin to bring them together and realize they don't work separately, they're not fighting each other, but God he, he, he says, you need to believe in the finished work of Jesus so that you'll begin to believe God's grace and favor in your life. And then you'd have what we call, the Bible calls, faith righteousness. What is faith righteousness? I can't make myself more righteous. I can't make God love me more because I gave more, did more, cleaned up my life more. That, that had nothing to do with God's love for me. But then as I learned to fall in love with God, people would use grace to go live any kind of a lousy life they could. And say, well, God loves me anyway. And that's, that's not the point. The courts don't love you. Your spouse won't love you. Your kids won't love you. The person you robbed from won't love you. The person you beat up is not going to love you. And you're going to wreck your life. And so all of this beautiful principles of God's word is so you could have a great life. It's not going to earn you more love and favor with God. Jesus did that. And, and as I begin to sort through this beautiful doctrine, I begin to recognize how I could live a life, how I could, God would be on my side. And I want to challenge you today that if you've looked at the word of God and someone has taught you that, that God's going to make you suffer, sucker, and if he can get you to suffer, then maybe he can get your attention. Now, God is not such a poor teacher that he has to use some despicable happening to get your attention. But now at the same time, have you noticed that when you have gone through a lot of stuff in your life, you do turn to God? Okay? Like when my kids touched the hot fireplace, I used that. I was trying to stop them from doing that, but I can't be there all the time. When, when they first touched it and got burnt, I used that opportunity to say, come here, sweetie. Okay, fireplace. Can you say, what? And that little one and a half, you go, what? Yeah, what? Okay, and I use it as a lesson. But I didn't bring them over to the fireplace and put their hand on the glass and burn them. Like everyone thinks that's what God's like. No. You, you, you get what I'm talking about here. And so our young people and our youth would grow up in church and go, Ooh, I don't think I want to know God any better because the better you know God. And they'd say things like, new levels, new devils. Well, who wants them to get ahead if every level is going to be worse than the last level? I got news for you. The devil shot his best shot at you. He, he's not holding something back. He's trying his best right now. He's trying to wreck your life right now. How's he doing? Well, that's as good as he gets. So get up and 
succeed, get up and live, get up and laugh, get up and and recognize the presence of God is on you and that Jesus is with you and that any storm that you see, he's with you, not with the storm. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, this is This is at the very foundation of Christianity. He says, I put heaven and earth before you today. And he says, and before you is set life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he says, "Uh, choose life. (laughs) It doesn't seem to be a hard hard question. He says, I put before you life. He says, I put before you death. Before you is cursing and blessing. Uh, Choose life. What does that mean? It means our choosing is in our decisions. Let's choose life. It's it's our choice to follow him and the laughter and the joy and the blessing that God, well, are you saying that God's only good all the time? That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, then someone says, have you taken a look at life recently? Yeah, I'm living it with you. There's sickness because we're not in heaven yet. But we're citizens of heaven, even though we're not there yet. When you go to any other country as an ambassador from Canada, you live in a Canadian embassy. You're protected by Canadian soldiers. You eat Canadian food. They provide Canadian protection. And why? Because you are representing Canada in another country. You are called ambassadors in the Bible from heaven to this planet. And so it says this. It says that this life, this Zoe life of God that is in God and in heaven, it comes to us. And that we can live in the kingdom of heaven even before we're in the place called heaven. Which means he says that you will triumph over the storms. He says that this is your faith. He says this is the victory that overcomes the world and the things in this world. Even your faith. Just believing in him. Just believing in the finished work of Jesus. That Jesus died and he took sickness. He took disease. The Bible says so. It says in Galatians 3.13 that Jesus became a curse for us so the curse couldn't touch us. To know that and to believe that changes your future. And if you don't know what the curses are, go to Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 to 68, and you're going to find a good 45 curses of of what they are and how that those things now are something you should resist unless someone's trained you that God might use them to teach you. And if that's the case, God's a liar. Why would he just put these things or allow these things into your life as though he could stop them? No. In our lives, we need to understand, and we've got to teach the next generation that God is good, that serving him is where your marriage will know its greatest years. Your sex life will be the best you could imagine. It's with God. He created it. Hello. Hugh Hefner didn't. The devil didn't. Is that a new thought? There was not one Amen. And that prosperity is for his church. You know, the Bible says that we're not going to go to the desert of heaven. Heaven's not a desert. It's an oasis. It's beautiful. He didn't start man out in the desert of the Garden of Eden. He put him in a garden. Like everything about God has been taken 
and destroyed. And we think, well, you know, we think we're being humble. But what it has done is destroyed the emerging generations from embracing a false god who religion has crept in. And it's crept in through other religions, like, like Greek mythology and, and other teachings that are not even biblical. And so today I want to tell you, there is no deeper purpose for suffering. When suffering comes, use God's word, use wisdom, whatever you can. Get out of it, win, get on top of it, financial, health, whatever it is. Get up and believe God's with you. And when you recognize God's with you, man, does it energize you and go, Woo-hoo, God's with me, not with the storm. As we go into God's Word and and look at these things, it's amazing the truths. It says in Romans 8.32, listen to this incredible verse. It says, God did not withhold or spare even His own Son from dying for you. He gave Him up for all of us. Is He not also going to freely and graciously give us anything else? Like, if I had to do something for you, Well, good thing I'm not God. I wouldn't give any of my kids for you, and neither would you. But God did. And if he's that loving, he'd give up his son for you to die in your place. Is there anything he'd withhold? I mean, could I give you my house, my car, anything I have before I give you one of my kids? And if God's going to have his son lay down his life for you and I to get a life, then why is he going to withhold? Yeah, Jesus died for you so you could live on this planet uh, messed up, sick, depressed, emotionally down, poor, beaten, whipped. The Bible doesn't teach that. Religion teaches that. And so we need to know the Word of God. I dove into the Word of God when, I, when, when that, that epiphany hit me at 18, that the Word, that's not what the Bible's saying. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I'm, the thief steals, kills, and destroys me. I'm here to get you a life and a life more abundantly, superior in quality, innumerable in quantity. I love Psalms 103, because in verses, from verses 1 to 7, listen to how God looks at you. David is saying this, and it's very prophetic of this new agreement we have with God. See, the difference in the Bible is the old agreement called the Old Covenant was in the blood of animals. The new covenant is in the blood of Jesus who died in your place. It's completely different. When you read the Old Testament, you'd better take it through the new covenant. But listen to this beautiful portion of scripture. This is what God is like. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, bless his holy name, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you like a king with kindness and tender mercies, satisfies your life with good things. He renews your youth like the eagles. He executes righteousness and justice around you, for you. He makes known his ways to Moses. That's what he wants to do for you. That's our God. It doesn't say, yeah, he's going to withhold a little bit, make you suffer. He's going to just say, ah, not yet, you sucker. Suffer a little longer. Hang on till there's only three fingers left hanging onto the cliff, and then maybe we'll sweep in at the last possible minute. You know, God's never early, but he's never late. And all these crazy non-verses that we just make up. I don't believe them anymore. I don't believe made-up slogans that people make to explain why they think God doesn't do something. And I went back to the Word and just began to believe. 
that God's on my side. He's with me on the storm. That He makes me strong. That His favor is upon me. That my family, my home, our church. And as you begin to recognize these things, something changes on the inside of you. And you begin to believe in what Jesus has done. And that's the key. The key here is not to believe that you're so good, God's going to do something for you. Because that's going to get you into trouble. That's pride. And God resists the proud. What you believe is what Jesus has done. That Jesus has qualified you to be born again, to become a brand new person, to be forgiven, to have a new life. And that ahead of you, a future with him in it, that he would guide you, lead you, bless you, execute judgment. He would do all these beautiful things for you. And that he would assist you to make sure that the generations of your family are the same. And so today, all of you young people that maybe have looked at church and go, good Lord, get me out of here, uh, because it's like God is, he, he's old and out of touch, and, and he's mean, and the only way he's going to teach you anything is that you struggle and suffer. I've got news for you. I've not experienced God that way ever in 40 years of preaching. And you won't hear too many preachers say something like that. I've only experienced a good God. Now, I've experienced heartache and brokenness and death. I've experienced lying and cheating and betrayal and, and all the rest. But you know what really took me through? God wasn't in it. He was with me. And it gave me such hope. It gave me such faith. People will say, well, how do you stay strong? I go, I don't know. I just believe in Jesus. Well, how do you just... Look at the future and go, everything's going to fall apart that is evil and only the good's going to prevail. How do you believe that? I said, well, the Bible says that. And so I challenge you today. The Bible is the most incredible book. And as you begin to dive into the Word and get out to church here, you will find out what God's plan actually is for you. And then as you begin to believe this, you will find a transformation taking in your life place in your life. People will look at you and go, you're so lucky. And you just go, yeah, sure. I don't care. And they're not going to understand favor anyway. So I just go, you better believe it. I everywhere and all the time. Really? Yeah. <gasps> like, I noticed that. Yeah. You can have it too if they want to know. And I just talk to them about favor which is better than luck, because luck, you never know what's going to happen. You got you. I forgot my lucky rabbit's foot at home, or I didn't stand on the left leg when I actually made the putt, so I just didn't know, or whatever your, your beliefs are on lucky. I'm not lucky, I'm favored. You are highly favored. God is in love with you. Last thought, and, and we'll talk more about this, but God needs you to walk in his blessing. That's why all through the Bible, be blessed. You're blessed. When you meet someone, it'll say, God bless you. Well, what does that mean? That means you're speaking the favor of God upon them. You're reminding them you are blessed and not cursed. 
And so God needs you to be blessed. He needs your kids to be blessed. He needs you to be blessed with the giftedness that you have in teaching, government, business, arts, entertainment, healthcare, whatever area is in you. He needs you to rise up. He needs you to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Nobody looks at, at Christians and goes, look at those guys suffer. Holy mackerel, can they suffer amazingly? I want to be one of them. Come to church with me. I'll teach you how to suffer. Uh, you know, I think I'll opt out on that. But that's the only message the church has brought forth. Now, I thank God for his strength that when I went through things, he never left me. He never deserted me. His strength rose up inside of me. He gave me hope and faith and joy. And as I'm walking through some dark times in my life, that he never left me or forsake me. He, as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you fear no evil. Fear couldn't touch us. And I'm so thankful for that. Don't get me wrong. But if you want your generations to serve God, you better find out who he is, because religion has it wrong. Religion had it so wrong that when Jesus came to the planet, he had to show us what Father God was like, because the religious people reading the Old Testament had messed it up so bad, he called them sons of Satan. Just the thought. And he said, you make your disciples a worse disciple of Satan than you yourself. He called religious people whitewashed coffins. All you talk is death and suffering. And Jesus, I came to give you life. This message, I'm after one thing today. You young people, he's in love with you. He wants your career, your marriage. He wants you to find someone special. He wants you to love life till you just giggle and chuckle and go, God, you're so good. He wants your kids to serve him, your grandkids to serve him. He wants to know he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And that's, that's the God that we serve. And the new covenant and the finished work of Jesus has made it possible that you don't have to earn all of these blessings. These blessings were earned for you by Jesus who lived a perfect life, by Jesus who died and took your sin and my sin, by a Jesus that took all punishment and curses for when we did mess up, and Jesus rose again and gave us a new life. And today we are born again with a new future. The Bible is stunning. It's amazing. You have to want to get it wrong, to get it as bizarre as religion has got it. God is in love with you. Absolutely in love with you. And he's a brilliant teacher. Brilliant at showing you, teaching you, communicating to you. He doesn't need to slap you off your stool. He doesn't need to use cancer as his teacher or death as his teacher. He doesn't need to use betrayal and bankruptcy and allow it in because he's got to teach you something you're not getting. That's not our God. Now, when you turn to him in the midst of the stuff you're walking through, man, he'll be there and he'll help and teach you. But you'd better get a new look at God or you're going to struggle the rest of your life and your family won't follow God because you don't have the correct God of the Bible. You don't have the Jesus that came to the planet and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Jesus didn't walk around making people sick. He didn't walk around killing people. He didn't walk around povertizing people, not a word. He didn't walk around dissing people. He didn't walk around making them sick or mentally ill. He didn't walk around. He walked around and all he did was bless and heal and include and say, bring the little children over here. Go and sin no more. He says, don't let that their judgments bother you, ma'am. You just go free. Who's accusing you now? And she goes, Father, Master, no one. Neither do I. Go. He's showing you and I this incredible, beautiful life. And he'll give you the power to win over all temptation and to live a life that is so strong and gorgeous for him. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Father, I thank you. I thank you for sending Jesus. Man, he cleared a lot of stuff up. And as we look at him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see your heart. I pray that we would release all the false teaching of religion and embrace the Word of God. There are people here right now that had no idea you were this good. I pray that they would turn to you, ask you in, and live for you. Father, guide us as a church. Guide us as families, marriages, homes, businesses. Guide us as a nation. Let the Jesus that is the real Jesus stand up in our churches, change people's lives. Father, we ask you for this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody in agreement said, Amen. Amen. Amen.